Okay, we'll get started. Hey guys, welcome to the Rotary Empire podcast. Today we've got a very special guest all the way from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Now, she's going to be talking a little bit about travel in the Southeast Asian industry. And uh, I was having a look at some of the various different elements and information around that particular niche. And I found that the um, uh, Visit Singapore and uh, the Tourism Board said that alongside a report with McKinsey and Company that approximately 60% of the world's millennials reside in Asia. And it's one of those places where millennials are already accounting for around about 35% of US uh, $600 billion that Asians spend on international travel, which is quite amazing. Uh, And I want to introduce our guest today. Her name is Hannah Pearson. She's a fellow Brit that currently lives in uh, Kuala Lumpur. And uh, she's the founder of a consultancy called Peer Anderson, which she created. Uh, her clients include Visit Britain, the Catalonian Tourism Board, uh, Salam Standard, Go West, London Design Outlet, amongst others. She's been living in Malaysia for over seven years, and she's got a ton of experience in the travel industry. She's worked around different elements, and she's even had her own startup called Tripovo. So, and she, guess what? She's got a first-class honours from the University of Oxford in an uh, amazing uh, degree with Masters, Classics and French. So, bonjour, Hannah. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, the lockdown is easing in the UK here slightly, so we're hoping things can get back to normal as possible. I know uh, it's affecting the travel industry, which is your space a lot right now. Uh, who would have thought a few months ago that something like this could could ever happen? But hey ho, that's life and uh, these things do happen so we've got to pivot and uh, prepare for it as best as possible. So I just wanted to uh, ask you, um, you know, where does your interest in travel stem from and maybe if you can introduce a little bit about yourself and how you arrive, your journey traveling from the UK all the way to uh, Malaysia, an exotic, amazing place, and you know how that kind of like uh, uh, developed. Oh, sure. So yeah, like you said, I'm I'm from UK originally, uh, from Worcestershire. Um, and um, somehow travel has always been a part of my life. Even just you know when I was little, and we would go on camping holidays. So, uh, Done, and I happen to be um, pretty good at languages. So that's how I ended up studying French. And I think when you study languages, the language and travel thing is always really linked. Right? So you you can't go learn French without going to live abroad and week every day. So I was studying French, went abroad and lived in Lille in uh, northern France for a year. So Lille is actually closer to Brussels than it is Paris. Um, and that, that was a fun experience. Uh, maybe the French are not the most welcoming, but maybe those are just the ones I met. <laughs> I think that really gave me a taste for, for being abroad. Um, after I finished my degree, I then ended up doing a gap here in China. So wow. Teaching in, in, uh, in China for a year. And that, again, was a really fantastic experience. It was back in 2007, so it was before even the Beijing Olympic Games. And even though I was in one of the big cities, um, 
actually still seeing foreigners is quite rare. So people still got really excited to, to see, see a white person on the metro. Um, and even I had a friend who had a really vibrant ginger hair. People would go up to her hair, strangers, and pull it. Just to see if it was real and not a wig. Well, at least, at least got away with being a bit blonde. That was um, but when I was in China, I um, actually met my my future husband, um, and his family are originally from Malaysia. He was British as well, born in London, um, but he had a lot of family out in Malaysia. So we spent a bit of time back in the UK, and I was doing nothing um, travel related. I was working for a, a big company um, that actually uh, makes locks, <laughs> locks and doors, and nothing at all do with travel. But um, my husband kind of persuaded me, let's go to Malaysia and let's have some adventure. And his uncle also happened to own a travel agency And that's where it all really got started. Uh, so we moved out to Malaysia to fail, um, thinking it would probably be just for a couple of years. And of course, it, it's, it's now been, I think, just over eight years. So um, we're, we're pretty much established here. And we've done all sorts of things, um, but always in the in the travel industry. And for me, it's always a real thrill to kind of help introduce people to other aspects of the travel industry. I mean, now I'm more B2B. When I first moved here, I was um, working at a travel agent, so um, mainly specialising in Europe. And I had so many lovely customers that you know I spent overseas to Europe and still in touch with now because they had such a, a great different kind of time when they were traveling. Wow, amazing. So you traveled uh, different parts of Asia and you even met your uh, future husband. So you got double the benefit whilst enjoying the world and meeting your future husband as well. Amazing. And um, so, so far, we know what's been happening with the lockdown and the COVID-19. Uh, what kind of uh, challenges are, are you facing uh, within your sector and, and your uh, consultancy services? Yeah, well, I mean, the travel sector has you know, been completely impacted. I think it's really one of the first things to, to be impacted just because people are, are at the beginning afraid to travel and now physically can't, you know, their flights or borders are closed, but you're not you know, actually allowed to do it. Um, so it's had massive repercussions. I mean, for my consultancy, I do two things. So one is I work with um, tourism or um, consulting and advising them on about Southeast Asian travellers and what their behaviours are. And, like and the other side is I do sales So I go out every day, normally, and meet uh, travel agencies face-to-face and brief them about the companies that I represent. And these are all European companies. Um, so at the beginning, back in uh, January, when COVID-19 started to kind of take off in China, um, we were a little bit concerned, but Europe was still fine at that time. January, February, it was still like, oh, thank God I've got European talent, because if I had Asian talent, oh, I'd really be stuck. And then, of course, Europe starts develop, you know, more and more cases of COVID, and it became very clear that this is happening against the way we So, um, I've had clients put contracts on the board simply because they can't even pay their own bills, let alone kind of hire an external consultant to, to do things for them. 
Um, so it's been a tough, it's been a tough few months. Um, but I'm trying to see the, the, the kind of positive sides to it and taking some time to be able to kind of reassess the balance of my clients and is it the right balance that I want to do. Um, but yeah, it, it's a tough industry to be in at the minute when you see your friends being laid off or having to take What's the situation uh, in Malaysia in terms of uh, uh, social distancing and, and movement, the lockdown? Has it been relaxed or is it quite strict at the moment? Yeah, well, we're in what they call a conditional movement control order. <laughs> it's basically kind of like a partial lockdown. So they relax the rules um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks, two weeks before it was very very strict so you were only allowed out to go to the supermarket you're in you know supermarket or, or doctor's appointment things you're only allowed one person out of the house you couldn't go outside to go do exercise for example you really had to stay in your house and i stay in a, a two-bedroom apartment on the 28th floor of a, of a condo in central field so it's really been you know not not leaving the apartment um, and i've got two years So you, so you live in Malaysia, which is uh, on the doorstep of um, Indonesia, and Indonesia is, uh, actually has the largest uh, Muslim population in the world in terms of demographics, uh, and I believe uh, a part of your services include uh, uh, Muslim-friendly travel, uh, family-friendly travel, or sometimes known as halal travel. We've got here, I was looking at uh, Crescent Rating, a Singaporean-based organization, some research that they did in partnership with uh, MasterCard, uh, and they talked about the sector being worth over $220 billion, uh, with over 156 million uh, tourists uh, in terms of, like, from the Muslim uh, demographics. Um, so uh, how did you get involved in this kind of uh, sector, and um, how, you know, what do you think the potential is maybe after the lockdown, uh, pandemic period has passed. Yeah, I think it, it's kind of a funny one. And, well, not funny, funny is strange, I guess, when, when you, you know, when I say, oh, I specialize actually in Western friendly tourism. But it really came about, I think, first of all, by just being in Malaysia itself. Obviously, Malaysia is um, a majority Muslim country. And so when I was in this travel agency, and again, we had a lot of Muslim clients who were coming in, and at the time, I really didn't appreciate, I think, what those needs really were, um, you know, in terms of food, or having a place to pray, but as things, you know, went on, you, you talked to clients and you understood, actually, there was this real gap. Um, when these travellers were travelling abroad and their expectations of being able to find halal food were just not being met. Uh, so that was something that I really started to look into, and I got uh, 
Sulaiman travel agency um, specializing in Muslim travel in Malaysia. Um, and he kind of really opened my eyes up to this as well, and we collaborated on this book. So I think in terms of potential after lockdown, there's still a huge demand there, because especially if you're looking at tourism businesses, a lot of them in the last few years have really focused on Chinese markets. Right? Um, really, for them, that is the market to target the Chinese and then translating all of this language into Chinese, putting together all of these facilities, and it's Whereas I think that actually it doesn't take very much for many destinations to say, oh, we're very Muslim friendly. Because there are so many Muslims living throughout the world, right? So, you know, if you take an example, um, even of a place like Barcelona, that's what I wrote, Barcelona, this is you know, one of the things we were doing is looking at how Muslim friendly they are. And actually, in fact, they are a very Muslim friendly city. It's got a lot of Muslim population there, but plenty of halal uh, restaurants to eat. They're just not really marketing themselves to Muslim board. Um, and so for me, it's kind of a no-brainer for tourism boards like post-COVID-19 to start targeting that market as well and advertising. It's not even advertising, it's just making accessible the information that already exists uh, and kind of packaging it together to Muslim travelers and saying, hey, if you're visiting my city or my country, these are places where you can go and eat. And just make it easy. Yeah, I mean... Um... When I started uh, hearing about the uh, terminology, the halal travel sector, uh, sometimes I would hear the word niche industry. But then I, I thought to myself, there's nearly 2 billion Muslims out there, nearly a quarter of the world's population. So actually it's one of the uh, largest segments that potential uh, companies, tourism boards, governments can market to. And, and I've been to Spain, I've been to Barcelona, met, uh, many times uh, in the country, and you're right. There's plenty of uh, you know Muslim-friendly type travel uh, opportunities there, like the food and, and various other elements. But uh, there is obviously maybe uh, an issue with some of the marketing, not just in Spain but across even uh, some of the Muslim countries as well. Um, so there's definitely uh, a lot of opportunities uh, in the foreseeable future. So uh, with the difficult challenges that we discussed. Uh, what's motivating you to carry on uh, in terms of uh, persevering right now? <laughs> That's a good question. It's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, for one, I think I'm a pretty stubborn person, so I'm not just going to let this get the better of me. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've also started, um, started just about a month ago, putting together um, a summary. Every week, basically, every Sunday evening, I send out a summary of the impact that COVID-19 has had on the transportation system. Um, I send this out by email, and I pull together basically all of the different media reports that are coming out across um, Southeast Asia, across uh, nine different countries. You know how, how many people have been made unemployed, or how much recognition that, and pull that all together and put it out to the report from some And the feedback that I'm actually having from that. Um, it's just been so nice, it's been so supportive. I think people uh, are just really happy to have this information uh, kind of at their fingertips. And that's, that's kind of my motivator at the moment. So it, it's something that I'm doing for free because there's no profit in that position. That's opening long term. Some of these readers will turn into, um, turn into clients. But that's kind of the strategy I'm going to contact them. Okay, nice. So, um, I mean, as an entrepreneur, uh, you've worked with some large brands um, 
like uh, Visit Britain and um, some of the other ones that we mentioned previously, uh, like the Catalonian Tourism Board. Uh, what would your tips be in terms of um, acquiring these type of clients uh, in terms of these big brands? You know, how, how would you um, approach them or, or what kind of um, lead generation strategies have you used to kind of like acquire them as, as clients? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I've been trying to do is just to cultivate that relationship. So um, I came across both of these guys as two big brands when I was at this travel agency. Um, and at the time, I don't think I really did very much with them. I just kind of knew them. But we just kept in touch. So it's just little things, you know, when I was leaving the travel agency, just updating us like, hey, um, I'm moving on, connecting with them on LinkedIn, keeping engaging with them on LinkedIn, so that when they're finally thinking, oh, I need some information about Malaysia, or, or do you do something about Muslim friendly travel? Then I was kind of the person that they all found, which is good because it means then you don't have to go through, you know, kind of big, big bidding procedures and all of this because they already know you and they know the kind of quality of work. So I guess my advice is just to, to stay in touch with you know, anybody that you're kind of meeting, and I don't mean in kind of like a creepy way. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of um, smaller SMEs and entrepreneurs might have this imposter syndrome that they believe that, mm. or oh, because it's such a large kind of brand or company, maybe they get a bit apprehensive and they feel that, oh, uh, if I kind of like contact them, they might just say no, they might ignore me. But you never know. I mean, you don't know what exactly the organization is looking for. Cause, uh, and like you said, uh, keeping in touch, building kind of like respect, relationships, the trust. Um, because even if something doesn't happen immediately, potentially in the future down the line, there's always opportunities for, for future work to, to occur. So, yeah, so definitely, uh, you know, thanks for that. Um, and, um, you know, in terms of your journey uh, in the world of entrepreneurship, what's the kind of like... Um, uh, biggest mistake that you've made or, or let's say the biggest learning curve you've had uh, whilst uh, doing business? Mm, okay, that's a good question. So I think it was probably when I was running um, my travel supper. Um, so that was maybe a few years ago. And I think our big mistake there was in terms of funding. Um, so we started to try and do fundraising when we already had some revenue in. And it was not big revenue. And that was almost my mistake. I, I actually think if I ran another travel startup and I was trying to raise funds again, I would actually go, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's going to be I think I would go um, fundraising with just the idea, with just the concept, rather than once I'd actually started to generate revenue. Because it became very difficult once the numbers were so small to convince investors. It is a great idea, and I think sometimes if you go in with the idea and you've got a really great uh, MVP, um, then they think, oh, wow, the idea, and it kind of stole on it. Once they start looking at the numbers, that's when they start thinking, oh, is this is beautiful, and it's that nip. Yeah, I mean, a lot of small startups, when they go in front of uh, V's or angel investors, seed investors, 
some of the uh, questions that come up are like the numbers elements of course and then sometimes there's issues around communication trying to kind of like clarify your points to those people because again sometimes you might feel like oh you know you get awed by all this spotlight and uh, and whatnot but uh, I think definitely there are uh, opportunities in terms of crowdfunding platforms you've got like um, different platforms today like patreon for example so if you're kind of like a creative or you've got something started up you can build a tribe and then you know those people can support you in terms of funding you and getting your basic work up and running uh, and um, you know like uh, moving on from that what are your kind of like uh, tips for success habits I mean, for me, it's all about organisation. At least I try to be very organised, lots of to-do lists, and then looking at myself and making sure that I'm doing it. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, at the moment, where I am, you know, I've got this two-year-old toddler, so just putting it planned off for me, and I think for everybody, just go out to the window, right? And something unexpected happens, you have to go to school, and you're meant to go to school. So I think it's also about being flexible, too. Yeah, definitely. I would agree. Organization, uh, being on top of things, your to-do list. I love keeping my to-do list and then just ticking them off one by one. Uh, and then you've got flexibility, being able to adapt and change to changing environments and situations. But I was saying, um, do you have any role model or role models in terms of like your lifetime, your professional development, someone that you looked up to or someone that inspired you along your journey, uh, kept you going or, you know, pushed you in terms of like reaching your goals and aspirations? Uh, okay, um, I think actually one of my role models is probably my first, uh, my first client, which was when I was Yeah, I think um, I, I know I myself and other people that I've spoken to, 
uh, episodes, particular episodes in their lives where they've had uh, mentors or coaches that have intervened or kind of like when they've been down or, you know, supported them through tough and difficult times, but also give them uh, learning, some people that they've modelled and they've been inspired by, that kept them going and, and pushed them to the next kind of level. So, yeah, so what I would definitely say is a mentor or a coach or, or someone like a role model, uh, especially within, uh, you know, current kind of uh, contemporary climate would be most certainly useful for, for young budding entrepreneurs and young millennials out there, for sure. Um, if you had one piece of advice for a startup or a newbie uh, in terms of somebody looking to enter the travel market, um, what would it be? Okay. Um, I think it's probably do your research um, and, and do, do your testing. Um, I think a lot of people go into doing travel startups with the attitude of, well, I want it, so everybody must want it. This is going to be a great thing. Um, so I think it's create what you can with the best MVP you can and then get as many different people who are outside of your social Okay, thank you, thank you uh, very much. Um, uh, where can uh, people find you, uh, your P. Anderson uh, firm? Where can they find you if they want to uh, maybe book something or uh, get some sort of package uh, deal uh, in the coming uh, months or maybe early next year? Yeah, sure. Well, you can um, find me on my website, pearanderson.com. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Yeah, no worries. Uh, I'll uh, share those links that you mentioned uh, underneath uh, my social media. So if anybody has an interest in, in uh, this particular area of industry, they can follow you up and maybe uh, contact you if they need more advice. So I just want to thank you for your time here today. I know we're living very busy lives in a difficult uh, context right now, but uh, I really appreciate you uh, popping along and speaking to us uh, today and I uh, hope to catch up with you very soon. Yeah, thanks. Well, thank everybody. you very much. Well, have a great day. It's not even the evening for you yet. Yeah, have a great afternoon. Okay, <laughs> cheers. Bye. Bye.